Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today is my colleague, my co-host, my friend, my neighbor, Mr. Mark Daly. And that's because this is a continuation of our interview series. And this is an interview I've been wishing, hoping, aspiring to do since 2019. Today we are being joined by Megan Gilks. Megan is a Canadian racer who has competed in W Series. She's one of the youngest racers to ever compete in that series. She is the youngest race winner in the W Series. She has competed in countless other championships. And aside from doing all of this, competing, training, and prepping to race every single weekend, she is also a full-time aeronautical engineering student at the Imperial College of London. Her ambitions beyond becoming a race car driver are to work for a Formula One team. And as we're about to learn in this interview, she also has an internship lined up with the Aston Martin Formula One team just outside of Silverstone near her home in the UK. Since 2017 alone, Megan has competed in the Canadian Formula 1200 Championships. She's competed in the SCCA National Championships runoff for Formula V. She's competed in the F2000 Championship. She has competed in W Series, as I indicated, in the 2019 inaugural season. She's competed in the F1600 Series in Ontario, coming second just, just behind friend of the show, Matt Clark. She's competed in the National Formula 4 Championship in the UK, and now she competes in the GB4 championship in the UK as well. Megan is a decorated racer who has found success at every single level, and we're incredibly excited to bring her on today. Now, before we do, we're going to take a quick break to pay a couple of bills. And as soon as we do that, we're going to return and jump right into the interview. Stay tuned. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. I am Mark Hamilton. Not joining me this week is Mr. Mark Daly, and that's because, once again, this is our incredibly exciting interview series. And as I alluded to, as I teased before the commercial break, we have an incredibly special guest today joining us is Megan Gilks. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Really looking forward to having a chat today. If you were introducing yourself to somebody new, a new audience, how would you introduce yourself and what would you want people to know about you? So I'm a 21-year-old Canadian race car driver and um, I started off racing in go-karts, which seems to be sort of a typical path for young drivers nowadays and um, progressed up the racing ladder into cars in 2017. Yeah, and went from Formula V, a sort of, you know, bottom rung of the racing ladder series, into Formula 2000, and then Formula 3 straight after, so it was quite a step. Um, and then the past couple of years, I've been doing Formula Ford 1600 in both Canada and in the UK as well. And this season, I'm doing Formula Ford as well as GB4, a new championship run in uh, Formula Four cars in the UK. Now you're like a lot of young racing drivers who have big aspirations, and that you've had to at least partially make the move to the UK. You're based in the UK, and I don't have a question about this on the agenda, but I thought it was probably pretty valuable at the ad. You're juggling not just a, a full time race campaign or competing in two championships, but you're also going to school full time. Maybe talk a little bit about your your academic ambitions as well. For sure, I'm a third year aeronautical engineering student at Imperial. College London and my goal really has been since I was about 10 years old has been to work in Formula One when I was a little kid I wanted to be a driver you know stepping up through the ranks in karting and into cars I thought yeah you know I want to be the next Lewis Hamilton and then reality sort of hit in terms of budget and in a sense talent as well um, and I decided that I needed a backup plan beyond just trying to make it to F1 as a driver so I started an engineering degree here in the UK and looking to uh, to try and make it as an engineer in F1 now I've actually got an internship coming up with the Aston Martin Formula One team and I'll be starting that later on this year as well so it'll keep me with a very busy uh, schedule on both the racing and the engineering side of things. We have a four-year-old that's going to be starting his karting journey soon. So I'm always curious to hear, how did you discover karting? Or maybe how did karting discover you? And how quickly after you began, did it start to become competitive? For me, it's, I guess, a very similar situation to um, to your four-year-old. You know, I started off... Uh, actually following my dad around the racetrack he used to race and yeah actually began driving in go-karts I used to live in Barbados when I was 10 years old it was the first time that I'd ever driven a uh, a friend of my dad's had a son Zane Maloney who's now actually racing in FIA F3 and I tried out his kart for the first time and I absolutely loved it I was hooked on the sport as soon as I drove I was dead slow like as any 10 year old would be but I I love the idea of you know trying to beat my own lap times trying to get wheel to wheel racing with people and yeah for me it it started off being competitive right from the word go I'm a very competitive person and so straight away I was you know wanting to beat my own lap times looking at uh the times that other drivers were putting out there and trying to beat that and uh 
yeah, by the time I did my first race, you know, it was already well into the competitive realm for me. Where did you compete when you came back to Canada? And what was the competition like for you at that point? I actually took a, a few years off of racing after a big crash I had in the world finals. I was representing Barbados in the world finals in Italy, had a big crash in qualifying and uh, broke my wrist, got a concussion. I wanted to race the next day. My mum had other ideas, though. She was uh, she was not keen on me racing for the next few years. So I actually got back into racing again in Canada, just with some arrive and drive stuff at a local kart track. And I had to kind of uh, push my mum a bit and say, you know, I'm not really doing a lot of racing. It's just testing at the moment. I'm just trying to get some practice in and do some laps. And then sure enough, I, I built her confidence back up that I, I was a safe driver and that I could, uh, could go back to competing. So yeah, I started off back in Canada racing in Briggs and Stratton four-stroke uh, junior karting, which was um, relatively slow compared to some of the two-stroke karts that you can get. Uh, so that also sort of helped to, to build my parents' confidence back up in, in letting me race again. No, you mentioned that your mom was a little bit cautious about you getting back into karting after the accident. How was your, your dad, especially you mentioned that your dad was in motorsports himself. Was he a little bit more excited about you embarking on a journey of your own or was he equally as cautious as your mom? And how did you ultimately win him over or what kind of sales job did you have to do to make sure that he was convinced this was the right thing for you? My dad was actually completely on my side. I mean, he could hardly say to me, no, you can't go racing and then go off to Watkins Glen the next day to drive an F2000. <laughs> so yeah, he was definitely on side and helped me to to convince my mom. And ever since my mom's been like my biggest supporter and she's uh, really been instrumental in helping me progress up the racing ladder. But yeah, both my mom and my dad were a little bit apprehensive immediately after I crashed, but I built their confidence back up. I love that. And it sounds like it was less even about building your confidence. You're you're in I've read before as well that you were in the hospital, you wake up, you've got a cast and you're ready to go the same day to get back on the track. When is the race? Is that true? Yep, exactly. I woke up, you know, saw the cast on my arm was a little bit confused because the crash had actually knocked me out cold so didn't really know what was going on. But yeah, when I when I did come to, I was like, okay, so you know, how did I get on in qualifying? When am I going to race? And I uh, didn't really think it through that, you know, the race suit might not fit with a cast on my arm. But I, you know, a 10 year old kid, I was ready to go. I have a really great question here from one of our fantastic listeners, Nilly, and her question is really about your workout regimen. What does it look like? What are the focuses? Is it principally core? Is it cardio? Is it weight training? And do you have a structured workout regimen to make sure that you are in tip-top shape every single time you get in a car for a race weekend? Yeah, it's uh, extremely important to be fit as a racing driver. A lot of people from the outside sort of think, oh, you're driving a car around how's that any different to me driving to and from the grocery store it's a lot different because of the uh <laughs> the amount of focus that you need to be driving on the limit all the time um the g-forces that you're up against as well i mean f1 drivers in just a regular corner alone can be facing up to five g's um, and then as you progress sort of down the racing ladder a bit in f3 and f2 you're still 
you know, carrying multiple Gs of load um, in braking zones, when you're turning into a corner, when you're accelerating. So yeah, it is uh, a very physically intensive sport, along with the fact that you've got, you know, an engine strapped in right behind you and uh, you're in a big heavy race suit with a helmet on in, you know, what could be like 90 degree Fahrenheit temperatures that you're racing in. So it gets hot, it gets tiring, the races are long, you need to be physically fit. So for me personally, I do a lot of cardio work and I also have to do a lot of strength training because once you get to sort of the F3 level, the cars are physically very heavy. There's no power steering or anything like that to help you. So you've got to have arms like the Hulk to be able to steer some of those things. <laughs> so yeah, I do a lot of a uh, lot of arm strength training as well. And your neck too, because like I said, those G-forces are pretty high and you're having to hold up the weight of your head and your helmet with just your neck when the rest of you is all strapped down into the car. So yeah, it is a very, very physical sport and uh, the training that you need to do is extremely important. What does your nutrition look like? I'm assuming you have a nutrition plan as well. And oftentimes we get a peek at what an F1 driver eats in a day and it's it's a little bit of toast or it's it's a little bit of jam and it's very, very structured. What does your, your diet look like and is it different in season than out of season? Yeah, I would say it is a bit different in season than out of season because out of season, you know, I like my chocolate cake <laughs> and my apple pie and stuff like that. In general, I'm quite a petite person. And so I need to, you know, really try and bulk up and get my strength up. So I try not to limit too much in terms of how much I eat and try and keep it relatively healthy, get my fruits and vegetables in, get in a good steak a few times a a week. And uh, yeah, really try and the the main thing for me is to to keep my strength up so I can keep the, uh, the training going and build up for race weekends. How do you find a a racing coach or a professional trainer to help you develop your racecraft? I think in your case, you've obviously developed a ton of experience yourself. You probably inherited some experience and some knowledge that's been passed down from your father. But I assume that there's a certain point during your journey where you need to bring on professional expertise. How do you find a coach and what type of things do you look for in that person? Yeah, so like you said, originally, it actually started off as my dad coaching me. And, you know, when I was in go-karts, you would go and watch at a corner, or, um, look at my onboard video and things like that and tell me what I'm doing wrong and how I can go a bit quicker, because he just had that wealth of experience that I didn't have at that point. When I moved up to cars, it became a bit of a different story. At that point, you start working with engineers and driver coaches who are, you know, not just looking at standing at a corner, they're looking at data, at video, and they're giving you advice from their own experience as well. So when I moved up to cars, um, my dad was always, always there and always uh, giving me advice. But yeah, I would turn to, uh, to professional coaches and engineers, especially um, for help with, uh, with how to make me and also the car go faster. It's um it's not just about the driver, it's also about the setup of the car. So especially not just having a driver coach, but an engineer that you could work with, look through all the data with, um, that made a huge difference to me. We hear oftentimes that in Formula One, especially, you know, the driver didn't have a great Q1 performance in qualifying because the setup of the car was a little off or, hey, they had a great setup and the driver attributes the engineer and the mechanics for that for having a great weekend. 
from your perspective, what does setup mean? So when you talk about, hey, the car was set up well, or maybe the car wasn't set up well for this track, what does that mean? And what aspects of the car are you actually dialing in when we talk about setting it up for a race weekend? It actually sort of depends on what series you're racing in. Um, when you are in the more junior categories, especially those without, uh, you know, big front and rear wings or slick tires, you're tending to look a lot more at the mechanical aspects of the car, like um, settings on the car, like, for example, anti-roll bars and uh, camber and all, all the really technical stuff that the engineer will um, will go through with you. Um, and you're trying to dial that in to suit your own driving style. For me, I like to have a, a, a car that allows me to drive smoothly and not feel like I'm on the ragged edge all of the time. Um, that's what I found in the in the junior formula. When you move up the racing ladder into F3, then it uh, tends to also become a bit more about the aerodynamics and really fine-tuning everything. So those front and rear wings, you're trying to adjust the balance of the car and you know figure out whether the front end is sliding first or the back end of the car and tune accordingly. Um, and that's... Uh, you know, like you say, with uh, F1, sometimes when drivers don't have a, Q a good Q1 performance and they think, well, you know, how much more could I have gotten from the car versus how much could the car have gotten for me? It's all about finding that balance between um, what you need as a driver from the car and extracting the most out of what you're given. Do you remember working on some aspect of your racecraft, such as following a racing line on an unfamiliar track or perhaps hitting braking points that are maybe a little bit more aggressive than you were accustomed to at that point? Do you remember a specific example of working on one aspect of your racecraft? And do you remember the emotions of finally being able to nail that? I would say for me, actually, the biggest Thing that I've had to work on ever since I started racing but especially more recently in very competitive championships is the racecraft in terms of overtaking and defending and trying to figure out what to do when other cars are around you. For me I've always uh, found I can get into a really good rhythm when I'm on my own when there's no other cars around me. Once you put me in a racing situation and I have to start defending or attacking and really trying to plan things out for how I'm going to get by someone or how I'm going to hold on to that first place. Uh, that's something that I've had to work on ever since coding, really. And yeah, it's something that, you know, has been a great thing to have my dad at the track for because he can go and watch from corners and he can see, you know, when I'm making a mistake and defending too hard or not aggressive enough when I'm trying to overtake someone. He, he's been uh, helpful in, in teaching me that race craft that has been so critical in me moving up the racing ladder. At what point did your family realize that this could become something really serious, that this wasn't necessarily something that was fun and competitive for, for a young child, but maybe something that you could do potentially professionally and perhaps travel internationally to do? Was there a moment where you had to sit down and talk about what the next three, five, seven years could look like for you if you were to continue competing? I, I would say for me, Ever since I first drove a go-kart, I was like, yeah, I want to be an F1 driver. But it, it took a bit more than just that to actually decide that I wanted to try and make it as a professional driver. I would say really the experience that most turned me towards professional motorsport was actually um, being invited to do all of the W Series selection events in 2019. I know that's fairly late into my racing career. You know, I'd done 
all the junior coding and uh, moved up to cars by then. But I had plans on just going to university and focusing solely on my engineering and doing the occasional race when I could in Formula V or Formula 2000 or series like that. Um, but when the, the call came up for me to do the uh, the W series selections, that was when I thought, actually, here's an opportunity that I can take to do professional motorsport at a level that I couldn't have afford afforded without a uh, fully funded series like the W series. So I, I took that opportunity and tried my best in that to uh, to make it as a professional racing driver. In W Series, and I've heard you say before, that's a fully funded series, which means you're a professional driver and you can focus purely on your racecraft. But that's rare in motorsports outside of maybe the W Series, outside of maybe Formula One. Typically, sponsorships play a big part in your ability to have a car ready for every single race weekend. How important is the role of sponsorships in funding your racing ambitions? And how much of your time energy is spent on that side of the business versus maybe on the track, building relationships with sponsors, working with sponsors, doing promotions alongside sponsors? Yeah, for me, sponsors at the moment are what are keeping me racing. I have got some fantastic sponsors at the moment. Um, Infinite Motorsports, which is a company in Canada, which does uh, track days both in Canada and in the US at the moment. And they're looking to expand to other locations as well. Them and also Quattro Group, a UK-based company um, that sponsored me for the last round of the, uh, the new GB4 championship. They are what put me on the grid every weekend. Without them, I wouldn't have the budget to be able to do series like Formula Ford or GB4. So, yeah, it's um, it's a huge part of motorsport to not only find sponsors, but also to keep them happy with, uh, with what you're doing. It's not just about the results that you get on track. It's about the media coverage that you get both on and off the track and what you can do for those companies to help build their business. Megan, on the note of sponsors, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I just, I want to pick up that thought that we had on the other side of the break because I think one of the things that people are quick to criticize sometimes when we talk about Formula One is this concept of a pay driver. And it's not literally a yeah. driver coming in, cutting a personal check, but they bring sponsorship with them. And we see that with Nicholas Latifi, with his father bringing the Safina Food Group, which obviously has yeah. prominent sponsorship on a car. But if you look at Formula Two or you look at Formula Three, there are few, if any, drivers who are funding their own journey that they're using sponsors to fund that. So in essence, everyone in F2 and everyone in F3 is a is a pay driver in that sense because they're all dependent on, on funding. 
Staking a step back to 2020, and I'm eager to get into your W Series experience here, but in 2020, you finished second in the Ontario F-16 Championship. You had a great year. You scored a couple of poles, 11 podiums, finishing only behind friend of the show, Matt Clark, who won the championship. What would you attribute or attribute your success to in that season? I had just come off of the W Series in 2019, so I had uh, quite a bit more experience coming into the series and I would have done just coming straight out of Formula V and going into F1600 or coming out of carts and going into F1600. It was um, Matt Clark's second year in, uh, in the championship, so I knew I had, um, I had a lot to compete <laughs> with and I had raced against him in carts before uh, we both came up through the same uh, ladder in Canadian karting. So I knew him, I'd raced with him before and we'd had some good battles on track. And I knew he was going to be one of, if not the driver to beat. Um, and yeah, it was a, a fantastic season. I kept him honest. And uh, especially early on in the season, took took a pole position, a couple of fastest laps. And like you said, I think 11 podiums. So yeah, it was a, a, a great season from, from both of us. And uh, we really pushed each other to keep improving. You spoke a couple of moments ago about the opportunity that you had in 2019 to compete in the inaugural W Series Championship. You were one of the youngest drivers. You continue to hold the record as the youngest race winner in that championship, something I think all Canadians should be very, very proud of. Maybe talk a little bit about just how significant a leap those cars were versus anything that you'd driven before. Absolutely. I started off racing cars in Formula V, which is 60 horsepower, Volkswagen Beetle engine, and a lot of the uh, old 1960 sort of design around the chassis. It's a single seater, but with a lot of that 1960s Volkswagen technology. Um, So stepping up from that and basically two races in a Formula 2000, which is a step up from Formula V, but still a bit slower than an F3, it was definitely a big step, and I knew it was going to be a learning curve all season. I was so pleased to be able to get that race win at Assen um, in the W Series. It was a huge, uh, a huge moment for my racing career, and also really helped build up my confidence after a, a pretty tricky start to the W Series season. Um, yeah, it was for sure, like you say, a big step really uh, leaps and bounds compared to what I had been racing uh, before before 2019. Um, but I'm so glad that I had that opportunity and it really launched my racing career. I actually went back and watched the Aston race last night. And despite the fact that I knew what the outcome was, the last few laps, especially after that last safety car, were incredibly stressful to watch from home. Take us back to that moment. Take us to that experience. What were you thinking during those final few laps? What were you thinking as the race completed? And what were your emotions when you're standing on the podium afterwards? I knew that I needed to get a good start in that race because I I was starting from pole position. And the further back you went, on the grid, the quicker the drivers were. So I knew that the likes of Jamie Chadwick, Emma Kimmeline, and Alice Powell would be coming to get me by the end of the race. I did make a good start, and I actually built up like a second and a half lead and had something like eight seconds back to to fifth place. So I had a pretty comfortable gap, and then like you say, a safety car came out. And I thought, really, this is a bit unfortunate, but okay, I'm just going to have to, just going to have to, um, you know, put my head down and just try and drive away again. 
And I did manage to do that, built up a bit more of a gap before, like you say, safety car number two came out. Um, and at that point, I saw the drivers in my mirrors that were behind me. I had Jessica Hawkins, Sabra Cook, an American driver who's very talented, Alice Powell. Um, I had uh, a wealth of experience behind me. And I thought at this point, with only a couple of laps left to go, I'm not going to be able to build up a gap to the to the quick drivers that are right behind me. I'm just going to have to defend like my life depends on it. And that's exactly what I did. Honestly, watching the race back over again for me is more stressful than actually having driven it because I was so focused on the task at hand when I was driving. It was, you know, half the time I'd be looking ahead of me and the other half of the time I'd be looking in my mirrors to see who was behind me and how far back they were and how much did I have to defend into the next corner. Um, I... I thought I had it won going into the final chicane because when you have uh, the front and rear wings on a race car and all that aerodynamics, you tend to get a bit of dirty air for the car behind, quite similar to F1, but not quite to the same extent in F3 because you don't have as much downforce. Um, so I thought going into the fast corner before the final chicane that I you know, I had it won and Alice Powell, who was the one behind me at the time, wouldn't be able to get close enough. But I got so excited. I outbraked myself <laughs> into the chicane wow. and she got a run, a, a run at me coming out. And um, yeah, I managed to hold on to it by 0 0.003 seconds, which thank goodness the finish line was as close to the final corner as it was, because otherwise I don't think I would have held on to it. So yeah, that that's pretty much the rundown of that race. And you know, how I was feeling throughout. I was afterwards, that's like one of the happiest moments of my life winning that race because it was, you know, all of the hard work that had gone into into my motorsport, not just for me, but from everyone who had been supporting me up to that time to finally have it come to fruition and uh, and win a race in a series as big as the W Series. It meant the world to me. The W Series was obviously an amazing transformational experience for you. What was the biggest skill that you learned or skill that you developed either on or off the track during your time in the W Series? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To be honest, the biggest thing for me was actually just getting experience because I had so little experience going into the W Series, learning from the other drivers, looking at their data, all of the data that every driver had was available to everyone else so we could all learn from each other. So in that sense, it was uh, very good to be able to develop us as young drivers. Um, really just competing with those girls at a level as high as Formula 3 was um, instrumental in helping me to to progress my driving and and learn from them. Question for you as a 
a Canadian, and I know you've represented the Maple Leaf on the global stage more than a couple of times. How important is it for you at whatever level possible to to compete for Canada? I know you're based out of the UK, as a lot of young drivers are, simply because that's where the series are, that's where the infrastructure are, that's where the teams and the funding often is. But how important is it for you to represent Canada on the global stage? I am so proud to be representing Canada. I'm a really proud Canadian, and um, I started off sort of the majority of my racing in Canada, did my first Formula V race in Canada. It's what really, you know, racing in Canada is what really built me up to be able to come over to the UK and to Europe and to, to try and uh, further my racing career over here. So, yeah, I'm um, really, really a proud Canadian and love having the Maple Leaf on on every car that I drive, whether it was, you know, the W Series car or Formula Ford or GB4 having the maple leaf on my car is a really proud, uh, proud thing for me. Relative to Canada's not insignificant population, we're approaching 40 million people, which is only 10% of the United States. But despite our relatively small population, this country seems to produce some really exceptional racing talent. We obviously have young stars like yourself and Mac and, and Amber competing in ARCA in the United States. Um, but historically, we've had great indie drivers. We've had a number of drivers reach Formula One. What do you attribute Canada's success in developing great drivers too given our population given the fact that for half the year our tracks are covered in snow why does Canada do such a great job of developing young talent I would say a large part of it is actually the uh the relatively short but very significant racing ladder that they've got up uh up in Canada they've got uh junior karting which does lead into senior karting if you choose to go that route or um open wheel series like formula 1600 which i did um and then there's also the path that you can go racing in the u.s as well so really young drivers have an opportunity to shine in the canadian karting scene and then progress from there and it's not just open wheel categories that canada has to offer there's uh there's like the canadian touring car championship and series like that that allow drivers to to really choose what path they want to go on and follow that, whether that be going into the US to race afterwards or going over to Europe and the UK. Megan, if you had some advice for some parents that have a young child and they're looking to get their their son or their daughter into karting and into motorsports, what recommendation would you have for them? And this isn't this is not clearly for me. I'm not actually I am kind of asking personally, but for our listeners as well, that if if somebody was looking to get their young children into motorsports, what kind of recommendations or advice would you give them? First thing I would recommend is absolutely karting is the way to go. It gives your kid all of the uh, the experience in not just learning how to drive a vehicle because, you know, when you have a kid under the age of 16 years old, they won't know how to drive. But it teaches them about racing and how to compete with other people. It also teaches the kids the ups and downs of the sport. You know, for every good day you have, you're going to have 10 bad days. And so, you know, kids learn about how how motorsport is. And it's a great lesson, not just for for racing, but for life. Beyond that, I would say, you know, keep at it with your kids because it's not going to all click straight away and they won't be the next Lewis Hamilton the first time they jump into a car. 
it's going to take time. It's unfortunately going to take a bit of money. Um, <laughs> so your, your pockets won't thank you, but your kids will. Um, yeah, it's uh, really just about keeping at it. And, you know, if their progress seems to stall away a bit at one point, just keep, you know, keep encouraging them. Don't be too hard on them and let them just figure it out because they will figure it out. I was talking to one of our really great listeners the other day, Nilly, and she was excited that we were bringing you on the show. And she really wanted me to ask you this question. In the last couple of years, the topic of mental health seems to have begun permeating the mainstream, whether it's pop culture or professional sports. We've heard a lot of discussion about mental health in the NBA, and even in Formula One, drivers like Lando Norris are destigmatizing the concept just by talking openly about some of the struggles that they've had with mental health and the pressures associated with racing and how maybe that can compound existing mental health issues that they're having. Maybe talk a little bit about the topic of mental health, why it's become more prevalent in motorsports, and maybe some of the things that you've done to make sure that you can be in a really great mental health space when it comes to competing every single weekend. Yeah, it's absolutely a huge issue nowadays in motorsport, but in every industry and in everyone's lives, really. For me, I have always found racing, while it is very competitive, it is my outlet. I love to go to the track. I, I love to be at the track, whether I'm racing or engineering or just spectating. Um, it's like my passion is motorsport. I'm trying to make a career in motorsport one way or another. I just love to be around fast cars. Um, so for me, it is kind of like my my way of, uh, you know, letting go and relaxing and, and enjoying myself. But the pressures of motorsport, especially when you are trying to make it professionally, are extremely high. And you're always chasing after that bit of sponsorship, trying to get the results to be able to keep keep funding yourself and keep racing. It is a, um, a challenging sport, one of the most challenging out there in that sense, in terms of uh, always needing the results to be able to, to keep going. So, yeah, it is a, um, a sport that, you know, you have to have to seek help sometimes and have to turn to others to whether it be talk about you know how how you're struggling with um with the mental pressures of racing or whether it just be you know having a chat with someone about the the most recent race that you've done just to to talk it over and uh and and speak to people it's yeah it's a um an intense sport but it's one that for me I I love and you know I can't stop talking about racing personally so yeah it's uh it's my mental health outlet you you spoke a couple of minutes ago about the fact that especially when kids are new to the sport that for every great day there may be 10 10 bad days or 10 uh, more challenging days. How have you historically balanced personal ambitions that I want to win, 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 I want to progress, I progress, I progress with whatever setbacks that you may have encountered, whether it's funding, whether it's a crash, whether it's maybe not finishing on the top step of the podium when you thought a race was within your reach? Yeah, it can be a frustrating sport. I mean, like I said before, for every good day you have, there's at least 10 bad days. Um, Initially, when you start racing, it's hard to deal with the bad days. And then you start to get used to it a bit. And you start to, you know, bear in mind that your day will come if you don't finish on the top step of the podium one day. You know, the, there is almost always another race. And um, 
that's something that's sort of really helped me knowing that I can uh, I can go back to the track next week or next month or whenever the next round of the championship is and give it another shot. And yeah, there's there's setbacks in racing. For me, I had plenty of setbacks, whether it be, you know, the start of the 2019 W Series season when I had a, a big crash in the first round. And uh, it was one that was completely my own fault. And I had to, you know, not just face the TV cameras afterwards and say, yeah, that was my mistake. Um, but I had to try and bounce back from it while facing the pressures of, you know, trying to keep my seat in the W Series. And it all works itself out in the end. You know, I got that reverse grid race win in Athens. And um, yeah, it's, you know, the sport is full of setbacks, but it's also got um, plenty of opportunities for success. Do you have a role model or somebody that you've looked up to throughout your time in motorsport? So I would say probably my biggest role model is actually the female driver, Davina Galitza. She used to race in uh, Formula One. She actually never raced, but she did uh, a few qualifying sessions and unfortunately didn't have the equipment to be able to, to qualify on the grid. I met her when I did my first ever racing school, the first time I drove a race car. Um, she was one of my instructors, and I kept in touch with her since then. I found her such an inspiration with everything, everything she'd done, not just in motorsport, but she was also an Olympic skier, just overall a really cool woman. And um, I, I learned so much from her just through keeping in touch. And then she continued to coach me when I was in the W Series. And even nowadays, I, I still send her emails after every race to let her know how I got on and regularly keep in touch with her. She was um, not just an inspiration to me in terms of what she'd done, but actually knowing her and knowing how amazing of a person she is. I've, I've learned so much from Davina. The W Series does such a great job of bringing exposure and attention to some fantastically talented drivers. Can you think of women that might be participating in motorsports in other places or other disciplines that maybe aren't getting the attention they deserve despite their tremendous talents and efforts? Absolutely. You know, the W Series is not the only place where women are competing in motorsport. I mean, for me this year, I'm not competing in the W Series, but I'm still, you know, doing uh, racing in Formula Ford and the GB4 Championship and mixing it up with the boys. Um, I race against, in GB4, three other female drivers at the moment. And um, yeah, it's, it's great to see so much female talent out there. And uh, yeah, you know, girl power, we're, we're really showing the boys how it's done. So yeah, there's... There's women racing in all sorts of series, whether it be in open wheel or closed wheel cars. Um, so yeah, keep, keep an eye on us because uh, we're coming up through the ranks. I want to be respectful of your time, but I've got a couple more questions. And you just touched on the next one, which is this season, you're competing in the GB4 Championship for Hill Speed in the UK. This is a, as I understand it, this is a brand new racing series. What are the cars like, and to which rival series would you compare this to in terms of racing and performance? The GB4 cars are fantastic. I would compare them to Italian F4 because they actually are the same cars that were used in Italian F4 from last year. They're, they're fantastic. They're, you know, turbocharged, slicks and wings, an amazing series, not just necessarily entry level for people coming up out of carts, but for people who have experience in things like Formula Ford or other F4 championships, 
I really recommend um, recommend the GB4 series as a way to try and progress your racing career. I've you know gained so much already from it from just doing uh, two rounds of the championship. Very cool. So we have some rapid fire questions. We ask every driver that comes on the show some of these. They're they're more fun. They're they're a little bit lighter and they help provide a little bit of insight into the personality of the driver. So my first question for you from our rapid fire selection today is what is the best track or your favorite track that you've ever raced on? My favorite track that I've ever raced on would have to be Moss Sport or as it's called nowadays, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. It's my home track in Canada. Um, I know all the marshals there and the staff that work there and the track itself is just fantastic it's undulating it's got fast corners that you really have to commit yourself to I I love the atmosphere that you have whenever you go there you know the it feels like a racing family when you go to Moss Sports. So yeah, that would have to be my favorite track. Is it true that you took your mom's mini there on snow tires in preparation for your W Series trials? Oh gosh, you weren't supposed to say that. If she's listening now, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, mom. Uh, I'll delete yeah. this out. I promise. I'll take it out. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. She knows about it when I came back with the, the mini tires all chunked up. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took uh, took my mom's mini there for a track day. And uh, yeah, did some uh, some preparation for, you know, driving some closed wheel cars when I was at the track, it was actually an infinite motorsport track day and infinite sponsor me. So it was fantastic to be able to go along to one of those. Um, yeah, I, I tried it out in a, uh, in my mom's mini. So a closed wheel car with a, with a roof, it was a very different perspective to driving it in a single seater, which is what I'd always done prior to that point. But yeah, I loved the track and, uh, enjoyed driving it from a slightly higher up off the ground perspective. What is your favorite thing to do with friends in the off season? Putting aside motorsport, what is your favorite non-motorsports related thing to do with friends? So I'm an avid tennis player. I really enjoy, you know, in the off season, it keeps me fit as well playing tennis. Um, I'm a member of a tennis club uh, locally in, in the UK. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing that. In general, I just really enjoy sport. So whether it's watching the F1 with some of my friends or, you know, going to play tennis or I do Taekwondo as well. I'm a black belt in Taekwondo. So even going to training sessions for that, keeping myself active is uh, something that I really enjoy. What is your favorite social media platform? Probably Instagram. I, I use Facebook and Instagram, but uh, yeah, I, I use Instagram more. What is your favorite Mario Kart character? If you're going to sit down and play a little Nintendo, which character is your go-to? Sounds really weird, but I really like to use Bowser. Uh, I think he's really underrated. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know why. I feel like I can get my elbows out more when I use Bowser. I love it. When you're getting pumped up for a big race, when you're working out, what is your go-to music? Oh, um... I guess for racing especially, sometimes when I'm, you know, driving in my road car and I'm listening to the radio, a song will come on and I'll just be, you know, listening to the song and I'll look down at my speedometer and be like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, <laughs> going a bit quick. Songs like, some songs that I've heard on the radio just sort of, you know, subconsciously made me drive a little faster and I guess I just listen to some of those when I when I pick up on a song like that um 
I'll listen to those before I race to try and get myself pumped up. So things like uh, The Chain by Fleetwood Mac or Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. I don't know why that one makes me drive <laughs> any quicker, but it does. So I listen to it. Oh, what is the last movie that you were able to sit down and watch? It must have been Top Gun. A little while ago, I've been uh, super busy with all the racing and university commitments. But yeah, as an aeronautical engineering student, I love the movie Top Gun. I've watched it countless times. And uh, I'm looking forward to the the second uh, film coming out. I was going to say it's been delayed now for two years because of COVID, but we're all eagerly expecting that one. And in your case, it makes total sense. Your favorite F1 and or IndyCar drivers? My favorite F1 driver would be Sebastian Vettel, closely followed by Lance Stroll, um, because I'm going to be working at Aston Martin later in the year. You know, I'm really excited to be working with those two drivers. And I've, you know, followed Lance Stroll through his racing career because of him being Canadian. And Sebastian Vettel, I've just always uh, thought he, you know, comes across really well. And I mean, all the world championships that he's won speak for themselves. This has been fantastic. Again, I want to be very respectful of your time. You have school, you're going to Imperial College in London, you're working your aeronautical engineering degree, and you're also competing in multiple championships. I think the final question for you then is, where can our listeners follow you? Where they can, can they keep up to date with your journey and, and your successes on the track? And is there anybody else that you want to shout out or recognize while you're, while you're on the air with us? Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. My tag is Megan underscore G underscore 49. Um, I'm also on Facebook as well, Megan Jilks. And uh, yeah, just would like to say thanks again to Quattro Group and Infinite Motorsports for, for keeping me racing. Thank you so, so much. We wish you nothing but the best for the rest of your journey. Have a fantastic internship with Aston Martin at Silverstone. That sounds incredibly fantastic. And thank you once again for everything that you do for the Canadian flag and the Maple Leaf. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been great talking with you. To everybody listening at home, thank you so much for joining myself. Thank you for joining Megan today. We really hope that you've been enjoying our interview series. We have at least another 10 or 15 of these lined up through the course of the campaign. If you like them, please let us know. If you can give us a review, a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it means the world to both of us. And with that, signing out. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you next time.